there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. Today we are joined by Sinn Féin Deputy Kathleen Funchen, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on children, disabilities, integration and equality, as well as our political correspondent Michal Lahan. So Kathleen, you were first elected to the Dáil in 2016 to represent Carlo Kilkenny. So I actually covered that count and I remember you arrived in that evening. Do you remember this? You were a little bit overdressed for the count. What what was going on? Yeah, good memory, uh, Sandra. (laughs) Um, So basically, I was also involved in a Strictly Let's Dance charity fundraiser that was the same day as the count. Uh, It was for a GA club in Callan. Um, So I'll never forget when they announced the the election um, and and then we were figuring out when the count would be. So because they were actually literally next door to each other, I decided to try and and juggle the two of them, not to let the the charity down. So, yeah, we just about managed to make it. I did my dance, um, which I definitely wouldn't uh, go into full time in in any way, (laughs) shape or form. But I then came over to the the count and I actually delayed going in because I had... um, they had done like serious makeup and hair extensions. And I just felt a little bit ridiculous to be honest going into the county. <laughs> so you know, every so. photo of your big moment, yeah. first elected to the doll, you've been running a few times, but every photo is you in the Strictly Come Dancing outfit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely memorable anyway. Um, it yeah. was a, a night to remember, but yeah, it was good. And, and now coming to your role here, obviously, in Sinn Féin, uh, housing has been a big issue for Sinn Féin, but you created a few headlines there a few months ago because you said that you have personally had to move back home to your parents with your two children because um, you were trying to save for a deposit. And people would find that difficult to understand because as a TD, you're on a decent salary. It's around €90,000. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I um, had been renting for the last number of years, like an awful lot of people. And in 2020, I made the decision to move back in with my parents, with my two boys, um, to try and save for a deposit because I was finding it like you were paying, obviously, your rent um, and then, you know, just just other bills or whatever. And it was very difficult to actually, you know, let's say, get what you needed together for um, a deposit. Um, I also wasn't a first-time buyer, so I didn't qualify. I had to have a higher deposit. That's changed, actually, in the last few weeks, which I think is great. Um, It's changed particularly for people who have gone through marriage separations, and I think that's really, really good because a lot of people in that situation, that's a situation I was in where you didn't actually have anything, let's say, from that house, but you just maybe had gotten your name from the mortgage, but you still, it was still sort of attached to you in some way, shape or form. So it was a 20% deposit, which was, I suppose, a lot to, to come up with. Um, then obviously in the, the mortgage world, everything is based on age as well. And I was coming up on 40 and you, there's a, a win, window for how long you can have a mortgage and all the rest of it when you get to it, to that age. So I just decided it was the best decision to, for us to actually be able to really concentrate on saving. So we were there for two and a half years and um, just recently in the last kind of two months moved out, moved out and moved into the house, which was great. Oh, you bought a place. Congratulations. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really exciting in Kilkenny yes. City and it's brilliant, particularly for the two boys and they're near their schools, very near their schools, which is great and their friends and everything. So it's, it's good. 
So one of your roles, uh, you cover a large portfolio. You're essentially shadowing Roderick O'Gorman and his areas. So it's children, disabilities, integration and equality. But in children, you've been dealing a lot with the fallout from the Mother and Baby Homes report, the controversy around the redress scheme. But something that strikes me when I see you contribute to the doll, it has affected you personally quite a lot. And you've been emotional at times when speaking uh, about it. You've obviously been very affected by the stories that survivors are telling you. Yeah, it really is a difficult situation um, when you look at the the mother and baby home. It's like sometimes I think like sort of now, let's say in the modern world, it's nearly difficult to believe like how you think to yourself, how did anybody think that that was a good idea or how on earth did they even get created? And so many women were sent to them. But I suppose um, every single time um, we speak about that, in the, whether it's in committee or whether it's in the doll, somebody knew contacts me and it's it's unlike I think other issues that you have people from throughout the whole country contacting you not just necessarily your own constituency and people see you as you know maybe speaking on their behalf and they're telling you their story and the amount of people that you're the first person they're telling their story to and like that's to me I never get kind of I suppose it's very humbling but it's also it's heartbreaking, really, when you think of people in that situation that are maybe, you know, up near 70 and they've never confided in, any, in anybody. And there's some particular stories that I just, you know, you would love to do more to help. Like, you know, there's there's a woman that I know that is trying to find her son. She's in her 70s. He would be around 50. And she just hasn't been able to find him. And like we have done, and not just me personally, but like loads of organisations have done so much to try and track him down. And yet we can't. Those kind of things I find sometimes, I find it nearly hard to accept that, that like he can't be found, like what happened to him, where is he? And that does, I think it's different than other portfolios in that you're dealing with a lot of, of that kind of emotion. Um, so it is really, really difficult. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, that the redress and everything was, I suppose, put in place, uh, particularly in a timely manner, because you, you do have people that are, are getting older. But that that the voices really were heard because for so long, people were, first of all, sent to these institutions being told that they had sinned or that they were wrong or they were bad or something. And that really got into people's heads. And I think it's really important now that they know that they can talk about that and they did absolutely nothing wrong. And I don't think we can say that kind of enough times to people, you know. Has it been fair on the commission members, the commission that looked at the mother and baby homes, because they were bound by the terms of reference. They had to stay within what they were told by legal advice they were allowed to do. But obviously there's been a lot of criticism over how they have handled the survivors' testimonies. But at times they didn't feel they could incorporate them because uh, legally they didn't have the same standing because of the way they were taken. Has it been fair on the people who actually went into that commission and agreed to do it when the terms of reference were outside uh, of their uh, control? Well, definitely, I think the terms of reference um, were questionable, to say the least. And I think actually the legislation that covers Commission of Investigations uh, needs to be amended too, th- that there is some level of accountability. I know it's important that it's independent, but that there be some level of follow up. I think the big difficulty and the big difficulty we had in committee with the commission is the fact that they chose to speak about the situation in a public forum. And I think when once they did that, sort of they this changed. This was at Oxford, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. at the, the university event. They sort of changed the, you know, the rules of the game as such. I think um, they, they kind of posed so many questions that like people were really, really angry when that report came out and didn't feel it reflected um, what had happened to them and their experiences. But then I suppose I, I feel that they added insult to injury when they decided to speak about it publicly and then say to us as a committee they couldn't come in be, because of 
you know, the rules, I think that would have been, even though it would have been frustrating, you could maybe, you know, see obviously that they were bound by rules. But when they had spoken about it publicly, I don't think they should have done that. I think they were wrong to do that if they weren't then going to come in and give a forum for some more answers for people. As an opposition spokesperson, I suppose you find a lot of the time covering politics that opposition essentially criticise the government all the time. Would you say that the minister has got it right on childcare? Because there are big changes. They have been working on a long-term plan to overhaul how childcare is run in Ireland. The, they uh, changed the employment contracts. They froze the fees for parents and they're hoping next year to bring fees down by 25% and 25% the, the year after. Is it clear it's going in the right direction? Yeah, actually, I think um, this year in my when I was uh, responding to the budget, I, I did acknowledge that um, from Minister O'Gorman. And I actually think that's really important in politics, that there is too much sometimes criticism for the sake of criticism. And I think it's really important to actually acknowledge when something does go right. And I think that while we obviously want to see more investment uh we're definitely off to the right start. It's definitely good to see, first of all, that the whole early year sector and the childcare sector is, I suppose, getting recognition and it's being spoken about more and it's it's in, in the news more. And I think that that's probably somewhat as a result of COVID as well, when there really was a, a light shone on it. But I do think that the, there's been good uh, progress and I think it's moving in the right direction. Obviously, we'll always call for more. And I do think that's our job too in the opposition to keep the pressure on. But I do think it's going in the right direction, particularly as well around the, the wage agreement, the employment regulation order, because people working in that sector haven't had that type of recognition, you know, and we all know the best way to recognise a workforce is is in actual wages, not just in kind of pats on the back. So I do think that there has been some really good um positive mm-hmm. progress. I think actually some people were a bit surprised that day um, that I was speaking in the doll. Like I actually said, I think I'm probably going to be a bit different than some okay. of the previous speakers and just because I think that's really important. Yes. You know, I, I think people get turned off politics as well when they feel like it's, they nearly can predict what you're going to say, you know. Sinn Féin, I suppose, has been criticised by some members of government for what they would see as the party being weak on climate. And Sinn Féin has seems to have prioritised things like health housing, cost of living and obviously a united Ireland. But climate just doesn't, doesn't seem to be high on the agenda. How would you answer that? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that. Um, I think both Darren O'Rourke, our TD and me, then Lynn Boylan, who's one of our senators, have been really, really strong and, uh, you know, have always been kind of advocating the, the policies. I suppose, like being very honest, I do tend to focus on the, the issues that are in my portfolio. But I do think that um, you know that they have been very very strong on those issues, and I suppose sometimes it depends what is is highlighted that day, or what is like housing is obviously one that dominates on, on a regular basis, and maybe maybe that's why people think that. But I I don't think that that would be the case. Could I bring in our political correspondent Michal Lahan? Uh, how would you assess how Sinn Fein has been on climate? Uh, do, do they seem to overlook it? Do they maybe think there's not as many votes in it? What do you think? I think climate's a particularly difficult one. That's difficult from an urban point of view, where there's a lot of objections to different parts uh, of the big cities where we'd say things like cycle lanes are being put down that is leading to traffic disruption. It's a big difficulty in rural areas as well where there's a feeling that there's a lack of understanding at government level about the particular difficulties that farmers face and those who have longer commutes without access to public transport. I think Sinn Féin, as the biggest opposition party, have an awareness that that level of discontent is there notwithstanding the climate crisis and the huge difficulties. And you did see a change perhaps in emphasis in recent weeks, particularly in Mary Lou MacDonald's 
Ardesh speech where she spoke about climate in more detailed terms than had been the case up to now, the need for energy independence within the next decade or so, but just how that is going to be achieved wasn't spelled out. Sinn Féin too repeatedly saying that everyone is going to have to be brought along on this journey if it's going to be successful, but how exactly that's going to happen. And of course, the fact that there is a clock ticking on all of this uh, makes that particular consensus approach perhaps difficult to achieve. So I think the party is going to face greater scrutiny on specifics in the period ahead with the election over two years uh, coming into view now. And uh, Catherine, could I also ask you about integration, another part of your portfolio? That has changed enormously in the past two and a half years because we've seen, of course, this year, these influx of refugees from Ukraine, the increase in people coming from other countries as well. How is that playing out in Carlo Kilkenny? Has there been disquiet locally? Because we've seen problems around the country. Yeah, so there is a huge amount. And I actually think there's a huge amount that falls to that department. You can see that there is, you know... like, Would you split it? Do you think it should be split up? I, I think there's too much in that department, yeah. And I think in fairness to the minister, it's, you know, with the best will in the world, like all of the different sections he's trying to deal with, you know. Um, we have a number of um, places, like there's a, a an old convent, actually, a St. John of God convent in Kilkenny and some of the hotels. And there's a facility in Carlow as well that are housing particularly people who have come from the Ukraine. Um, I think locally, you know, the communities really rallied around. People were like doing various fundraisers and all the rest of it. Um, but I do think that um, what what we're actually seeing is a lot of people that have either pledged accommodation on an individual basis or maybe larger scale, like possibly disused GA clubs or things like that, that are coming to us and saying, we haven't heard anything back. We've been in contact. They've had initial conversations. And that's why I think there's too much in that department, because I think it just comes down to resources. And I actually think if it maybe had been handled differently, obviously at the start, nobody could have predicted what was going to happen. And you have to respond to a crisis and it's going to take time to get a kind of some sort of a system in place. But I think a number of months into it, they should have ch- changed to maybe one specific um, kind of section, let's say, I think there's just way too much in that department to deal with it because I don't think we would have had a situation where people were staying on the airport floor if some of these accommodations had been followed up. Um, it's something we're actually hoping to look at in committee in the next week or two because we, we were discussing it as committee members and a number of TDs have that example in their constituencies. So it's obviously it replicated. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, in one way, it's good to, in the sense that it's great to think that there's accommodation there. But obviously, I mean, you just wonder where it all fell down. And I just do think that there's there's way too much in that one section and they really need to, to look at that and maybe mm-hmm. um, assign people from the like he- uh, health and housing as well, you know. So just one last quick question. If Sinn Féin are in government after the next election, do you expect to be in cabinet and what would you like to do? Oh, there is a question. Um, look, I, I, I honestly don't know. None of us know that. And, you know, like I know more than anybody when I was first elected to the council back in 2009, it was just me by myself. And then in 2019, we had the devastation of losing all of our councillors locally. So I don't think, you know, I know people expect this is a very political answer, but you just you can't even take your seat for granted, let alone say anything else. And, and I wouldn't do that. Um, but obviously, when you are in opposition for a long time, um, you do want to be able to get in there to actually make changes. That's the whole idea of of trying to be elected to change legislation. So, I mean, the area of children is the one that I really have always had a, a huge interest in. Um, and that's where I would like, but I wouldn't... Uh, 
it's not going to really bother me either way. I just, I would love to see us getting into government. You know, I, re- I really genuinely would. Some people sometimes say, oh, you know, it's, we obviously we've been in opposition for a long time and I really would like to be able to prove that we can, uh, you know, really do a good job in government and change things because so many people are looking for that mm-hmm. and are looking for that hope as well, I think, you know. Okay. Kathleen Function, thank you very much thank for joining you. us today. So Michal, we want to move on to some of the other issues of the week uh, and obviously a very serious sobering issue that has been talked about in the Dáil over the past few days is these allegations of abuse against uh, Spiritans, particularly uh, in Blackrock College. But the political dimension here is around the push from the opposition for the government to set up some sort of public inquiry. Where are we on that? Yeah, I mean, last week when the Taoiseach was asked about this, he talked about the importance of guard investigations first. Now, there seems to be a change of language, at least in the last few days, government considering an inquiry, but indications too that it could take quite some time. The actual framing of it, what type of inquiry will it be? Uh, Victim-led is how the Thornishta described it today, uh, saying it could be statutory or non-statutory, talking about the work that was done from a non-statutory inquiry that doesn't require an act of the Oireachtas, like the Scali report would have been one of them then if you were to go the more formal approach it could take a very long time to complete I think there is a realisation in government that there has to be some form of investigation and they do seem to think it is possible uh, and it is possible to do it without compromising guard investigations but when exactly it gets underway I think that could take some time And uh, another issue that I know you were covering last week, we're joined now by David Murphy, our political coverage editor. Uh, This is the fallout from the Supreme Court decision on the Canadian trade agreement. The uh, judges, a majority of judges said that uh, the the, uh, government couldn't go ahead and ratify this in the Oireachtas. So, but it's created a big problem for the coalition. Yeah, I think there was a sharp intake of breath in government buildings when the Supreme Court issued its judgment. In a way, the government had their fingers crossed that the Supreme Court would make this problem go away because in reality, what was going on was that um, the Green Party, before they went into government, uh, were opposed to this trade agreement between the EU and Canada because part of it has a mechanism called an investor court. And what that actually is in simple terms is that it's a form of arbitration. So if, for example, a multinational wants to take a legal action against Ireland, instead of going to the courts, they would actually go to a a panel of international experts. Now, Patrick Costello, the Green Party TD, believed that that was unconstitutional. And he took a case to the high court he lost there. He then went to the Supreme Court. And to the surprise of many, he won in the Supreme Court. I think even to the surprise of many people um, who were supporting Patrick Costello, uh, they were taken aback that he did win in the Supreme Court. So now really what it means is that the people within the Green Party who deep reservations about this but we're going along with it for the sake of keeping the government show on the road, you know, maybe some of those people will be minded to say to Eamon Ryan, well, look, Minister Ryan, I'm afraid Patrick Costello has been proven right here. And in fact, our misgivings, we still have them. So in a way, it's really now tricky for the government. In his initial statement on Friday, Leo Varadkar said, uh, at a first look, we think we can uh, address this by making amendments to existing legislation in the Doyle. But that's exactly what Patrick Costello and the people opposed to the CETA agreement don't want. What they want is they feel this thing is so important that it should be put to uh, a vote of voters in in a referendum. 
and they say that we've got to have a referendum on a few other things, one of which is the role of women in the home and all those other things that need to be addressed. Maybe we can roll it into a referendum on that. Um, some other people think that the, the government might try and sit in this until and leave it for the next government to deal with. There are uh, 27 countries in the EU, 14 of them have ratified this already, um, which means there's a few countries which have got to ratify it yet. And maybe if Ireland hung around for two years, they wouldn't be the last out the door. Yeah, Michal, that's really, I mean, the, the, the government, all three parties have been stressing they need time to examine this judgment. 500 pages. Yes, 500 they're, they're, pages. yes got to count those pages. Yeah, and, yeah. The, you know, there's differing judicial views within there and yeah. different reasoning. Uh, they're going to long finger this I really, they aren't are. they? I thought there was a bit of kind of gung-ho sense about government and the immediate aftermath of the judgment that they, they could rectify it with that legislative change that David spoke about. But last night, interesting from the Thonish, he talks about uh, that even that particular task is complicated and it would re- re- require require consultation with international partners and it could take several months. Now that seems to be shorthand for they're going to take their foot off the pedal for the sake of government unity and of course tomorrow Nessa Harrigan and Patrick Hoslow make their way back into the government ranks formally when they rejoin the Green Parliamentary Party. So I think as government gets ready for its rotation it is looking at its numbers and Leo Varadkar too will want to stay as Taoiseach for as long as he possibly can, I think. So for all those reasons, I think the urgency that was there in the hours following the judgment last Friday will fall away fairly considerably. Notwithstanding that, Fine Gael say it is government policy to, to ratify this, the, this agreement. And as Michal mentioned, we're exactly one month from the big switch. That we can't we, wait. Yeah, can't wait. The big switcheroo. We can't wait to come in on the Saturday. It's going to be great. The big switcheroo, yeah, that's the official term in Leinster House. So endless talk about reshuffles. But what's been clear is that uh, the Taoiseach Michal Martin is certainly utilising his final days and the top job. He's out every day, visible every day, doing things available to the media and opening and launching things. Uh, what do you make of that? I, I think he's opening things at such a rate. You just wonder if there's going to be anything left for Leo Varadkar to open when he becomes Taoiseach. I think today um, the uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin is up at the Children's Hospital. Then he's out in Dublin 15 uh, at the sports campus there. Um, He's opening that. Some of these things aren't necessarily fully open yet. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of events. You and need to open them a few times, really. And you need to turn the well, sod. There's a whole kind of, you know... If, if you're spending billions, you can't just open it once. <laughs> you need to have another go and make sure yeah. it's fully open. <laughs> what do you think, Michal, uh, the big switch? Uh, any more intel on what's going on behind the scenes? Well, I don't know. I think it is going to be all sorted probably well in advance of the 17th. There is that view that this won't be like other times where the night before the, the team formations are, are still being worked on. Uh, because out of necessity there is going to be such a negotiation around it perhaps in the first week of December between the government parties uh, that everyone should have a clear idea going into the 17th. So in that sense it could be a little bit smoother. I think the general perception is that this is all going to be very straightforward, very little room for manoeuvre. And I, I, I just don't hold to that view for, for a few reasons. One is that it's rarely, if ever happened, that you had a reshuffle without some type of surprise, whether that's Brian Lenehan uh, going into finance from justice, whether back in 2014 when Enda Kenny had to call one of his best buddies in Fine Gael, Jimmy Deanahan, to make way for the young guns at the time, or the new faces at least, with Pascal Dunhu and, and Heather Humphreys. And of course, eight years on, that's kind of the problem now for Fine Gael, that those new faces then have become something of a, a, what is novel in political terms, a consistent brand. 
uh, and Fine Gael could face into a third election with many of the same old faces in place. So for all those reasons, I think there will try to be an effort uh, to freshen things up somewhat, even if the opportunities and the way of doing that is more limited than it would normally be as a result of the makeup of the coalition. And on the Fianna Fáil side, I think that's the case too. And you, you could see someone making their way to cabinet, if not to a full cabinet position, but maybe to the super junior one. And the three people that get talked about there are Anne Rabbit, uh, Mary Butler uh, and Dara Caleri. Anne Rabbit and Mary Butler, some two people who seem to have done very well uh, in the eyes of their colleagues uh, over the last period. And uh, the, the junior minister is perhaps maybe a bit more room for manoeuvre there, but it looks like some people might get some elevation just before Christmas because it's probably going to be in the days after the 17th that the junior ranks will get sorted out. Yeah, so I think the big day is going to be on the 17th and I think we can, it's going to be quite a complicated day. I think the Taoiseach Meal Martin will be going up to the Oris. He will resign there. He will come back down to the Doyle. There'll be a vote on a new Taoiseach. We presume the opposition are going to put forward um, Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, obviously, we know from the government numbers it's going to be Leo Varadkar. He will then go up to the Oris. He will collect his seal of office. He's expected to go back down to government buildings. He's going to be um, calling in people to tell them they're going to be in the cabinet or otherwise. And then the new cabinet will be announced to the Doyle and the new cabinet members will go up to the Oris and they Pretty will late, probably. collect their seals of office and we'd expect a cabinet meeting up there. So I think it's going to be a big, long day. But yeah, the junior ministers, there are some names been spoken about um, as well. People like Jennifer Carroll McNeil, Neil Richmond. Um, the interesting thing in the on the Fianna Gael side have been mentioned. The interesting thing is that I think that Leo Varadkar, when he originally announced his junior ministers, he told some of them that they would be there for two and a half years. And that was quite a clever move because it then meant that he could swap in different people without putting too many noses out of joint by sticking with the original agreement. OK, very good. Well, we will be talking about this endlessly over the next few weeks. You so can't get enough. No, absolutely. So I want to thank the, our any guests. Outside, any outside bets for promotions? No. Well, there been talk about there has been talk about um, what's going to happen with health, um, yeah. and you know, could we see a senior person in Finnafall becoming a little bit more senior? I think that's the one people are. But does Michael Martin want to make enemies at this time? You drop somebody in that way, they're well, automatically not going to like you. If you're going to make an enemy, you'd pick someone who doesn't have a large foothold within the party. And that would be the current Minister for Health, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that would be if, if... He's not Fianna Fáil in his bloodline going no, back many years. Cer yeah. Certainly not. That does seem the most likely change at the senior level. I think the government chief whip rotates as well. That would suggest that if, if Stephen Donnelly were to go, there's a possibility of Jack Chambers uh, becoming the, the Minister for Health then. But what happens on the whip side? Does, but does Brendan Griffin, who's the deputy whip for government at the moment, make it all the way to Cabinet? Or does Hildegard Nocton go in there? Um, is Hildegard Nocton... Um, the person that Finnegan would look to for what is a, a particular type of job in a coalition government, uh, being the chief whip, could and another role at the cabinet. It's going to get there. tighter and tighter as well in the yeah. you know over the next two years. It's going to be a tough job. It is a difficult job. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to thank all our guests, Kathleen Funchin, Michal Lahan, and David Murphy. Thanks for listening this week. Mm -hmm.